It had originally been my goal to try to finish the first book of Psalms by Easter Day and with a variety of different um, weather um, impediments and sicknesses. Um, We're going to fall short of that completion by about four chapters, um, three more remaining after this Sunday. But in the Lord's providence, I believe that um, Psalm 38 is probably, um, I think, maybe the best conclusion the land on Easter for us. And I ask you now to stand as I read Psalm 38, and we'll then follow with preaching from it. A Psalm of David for the memorial offering. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning, for my sides are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, in the light of my eyes, it is also it also has gone from me. My friends and my companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. But I am like a deaf man, I do not hear, like a mute man who does not open his mouth, I have become like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth there is no rebukes. There are no rebukes. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. For I said, only let them not rejoice over me who boast against me when my foot slips. For I am ready to fall and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous, they are mighty, and many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we know that Jesus, when on the cross, remembered the Psalms, sang the Psalms, cried out and screamed the Psalms. It is there in the cross and in the resurrection that these Psalms have power. It is in these times of his suffering and his glory through resurrection 
that David had hope, that Jesus had hope, that we now have hope through the power of this word. Father, increase our hope. Fill us with your spirit to know your word and to proclaim it for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Like I said, I think this is a good um, kind of, it's, it's like when you do a workout, um, you know, when you see, uh, I don't know if y'all do workout videos and stuff, but you have the, the workout and then you finish, you know, like right when you're about to die, if you haven't already died, then there's the cool down. Well, this is the completion. This is the finish because this is, I think, one, I've been reading the other Psalms and they all, just like Jonathan said, point to Jesus and point to the cross. But I think that this really rightly falls on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday for us today. And then the other three that we'll do to finish up before we start the book of Acts, um, you can look at those as kind of the cool down and getting us ready to take it to the next step as we go into the book of Acts. You might look at this psalm and you might say, well, wow, I, I, I don't know if I can see all those things there. But I want to go through bit by bit of Psalm 38 for you today and to show you the hope and the benefits of what has occurred through the death and resurrection of the Son that is highlighted in this psalm. We already know from other psalms that he quoted precisely, namely through Psalm 22 and many other psalms that all being fulfilled through what Jesus did leading up to the crucifixion and during the crucifixion and in the resurrection. We know that this is the fulfillment of the psalms, his death and resurrection. I was talking to someone in the congregation recently about how we know that these Psalms are from David. Again, this one has been highlighted in the very beginning from being from David. And we know that contextually, they are about the plights that he was dealing with, with Saul and many of the enemies of God at that time. Now, maybe if we were going through a sermon series on Samuel, I would focus more on that. But since we're going through a series on the Psalms, we have to carry all three. Once again, what David was experiencing was a shadow of what is to come in Jesus Christ. But it is also for us, and it is a great and wonderful thing that as we are on this side of the resurrection, that we can sing a lot like David, though we're not a king of Israel, But the ultimate hope that he has, even beyond his own full understanding, is landing on what we celebrate this day through the death and resurrection of his son. And so to learn how to make these psalms our own as the people of God, as we encounter our own things, it is important for us to remember what David experienced, but to remember foremost what Jesus was going through and what he accomplished as we apply it to our own lives today. It is by default a command of God for us to apply the power of the death and resurrection of his son in our own lives through going through the Psalms. And so when we go through this, let us look at the benefits of what he has. It is my intention today, and I hope that I don't overwhelm you, but in a sense I pray that I overwhelm the forces of darkness that fight against you each day that it will be like carpet bombing you today, carpet bombing 
those evil forces that work against you today to go through to show you the benefits of the death and resurrection of Jesus that are highlighted by how this is connected to Jesus in this particular psalm. In the very beginning here, it says, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. That is a great summary start, (laughs) if that could be such a thing, a summary start for what I think the psalms are like. Throughout the whole Psalms, we hear about the wrath of God, the wrath of God against the enemies of God, and how powerful and wonderful and mighty and terrific his wrath is. But here, David and we too, by command of God, are called to go to God and to ask God to rebuke us for our sins, to rebuke us in our weakness in our faltering, just not in your wrath. See, it is rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. We are asking God when we sing this song, when we proclaim this song, when we apply this song in our own life, we're saying, God, rebuke us. We need rebuke. We are owning up to our need and our weakness to be disciplined but not in your anger, not in your wrath. We are recognizing how powerful his anger and his wrath is, but we are being bold enough to say, but withhold your wrath in your anger from us. Well, how is that so? How can that be? Because we know from everything we see in the Psalms and all of his word that he cannot allow sin to go without his anger and his wrath. And so we cannot even sing this song unless we are pointing back to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. I'm going to read a lot of scripture today, and I'm going to try to go through quickly, and I pray that you would listen and maybe jot them down if you're writing notes. This one's in Romans 5, 8 through 9. It says, but God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. See, it is here, like Andrew Peterson says in his song, Rise and Shine, was it the terribleness of his wrath or the terribleness of his love that we see in his cross? And it is both. Here it says, but God shows his love for us when Christ died for us so that we might be saved from his wrath. This is the display of his love. Here in this passage, we see an automatic acknowledgement that God must love us so that his wrath would not fall upon us. The most popular verse in the world, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son We cannot enter into this psalm. This psalm that might seem just kind of perusing through it to be kind of grim and kind of down. But you've got to see that he's even going to the Lord with first acknowledging that the wrath must be poured out on someone else. 
There has to be propitiation. There has to be payment. There has to be someone else that's receiving his wrath for us to be able to even ask the Lord to discipline us without anger and without wrath. John three thirty six says, whoever, believe, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. For those who hold on to Jesus, that wrath has been poured out upon him. We are holding on to the cross. We're holding on to the hope of the cross that the wrath was poured out on him. And for those who do not believe, there is still wrath. The one who does not believe cannot just say to God, shape me, make me into this or that. Make me good, make me powerful, make me do well at my work. You know, a lot of people pray for God to bless them in whatever endeavor they have. Whether it's in their sports endeavor or work endeavor, or in their marriage, in their life, in their health. A lot of people are praying for health and they're basically asking God's favor upon them. But if they do not believe through repentance and faith on on the work of what Jesus has done on the cross, they are not without that promise of wrath. It is only for those who believe and hold to him Verse two of that Psalm, for your arrows have sunk into me and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. This is the mysterious thing about the Psalms, that there is this merger of David's recognition of his own sin. We know that Jesus was sinless. And so we go, well, how can we see this as being a psalm of Jesus if he is recognizing his own sin? Well, you have to understand that in the cross, that he is taking the brunt and the fullness of what David is even praying about. So as we are endeavoring in that discipleship with the Lord, we have this benefit that even though we may suffer the consequences of our sin, we may suffer the consequences of conviction of sin, the arrows of God's loving discipline may pierce our own hearts, but it is going to be stopped short of our annihilation because of what Jesus has done. In fact, as we are dealing with that type of suffering for our sins, it is for the purpose for us to remember Jesus Christ. If you look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. This 
is a fuller understanding than God than just a, a father who disciplines his son so that he may be better. See, what is going on here is that because of what the heavenly father has poured out upon his only son, we are now allowed to be accounted for as his son. And so when we are suffering the discipline from the father because of our sin, it is actually not his wrath, it is his love. So even in this particular passage where David and now us, as we sing this song, that Lord, you're piercing my heart with arrows. I am just undone. I, my, my, my bones are just worn out. I, everything about me is being overwhelmed by you. That is a sign of his love. Because you have to remember, it says there in that passage, consider him, consider Jesus. See, so many times we look at God as just being, just, just kind of for our purposes, to get us through our life. But see, what you have to understand is that that's not even possible unless we are considering Jesus. That is why the cross and the resurrection is essential in center point of all things that you cannot even think about. Whatever it is, whatever you pray for. You know, Jennifer and I were, uh, somebody offered some free mattresses and we were praying for mattresses. So we're asking for God to give us a nice mattress. There's no reason for us to even get a nice mattress so that we may be able to get sleep unless we are considering the purposes of what Christ has done. Everything that you pray for has to be within the context of the purposes of Jesus dying on the cross and being raised from the dead so that we may carry out his glory in his name. Otherwise, we're just asking for wrath, really. See, the reason why the Lord would do anything for us is because of Jesus, because of what he has done because he endured from sinners hostility against himself. He actually did shed his blood. We have not, in our struggle against sin, had to die for anyone for their salvation. And then we have to remember that whatever we are going through here as we sing this particular verse of this psalm, that it is because he loves us to remember the benefit of his love. The Puritan Thomas Watson said, the worst that God does to his children is to whip them to heaven. Now think about that. And we all know when we've gone out in public and, and, and when we've been embarrassed by our own lack of parenting in our own home, that when we see that whining, screaming child that is responding to some level of a spoiledness, and if we could just slow down a little bit, we would realize how much we are like that daily. But we're like, well, their, their parents must not love them very much. You know, I saw the funny meme that says, you know, you haven't been loved by your grandma unless she's yanked you by the arm and whipped you with the switch as you danced around the front yard. <laughs> Well, I know that we do those types of discipline even in the anger of our own heart and we sin, but our loving father, when he whips us to heaven, he really, his purposes are for the fullness of our love. And that is a hard thing for us to understand that here as David is singing this and praying this, 
that this is connected to what Christ has done, that he is able to discipline us without pouring out his wrath upon us because of Jesus. It says that in the next verse of the psalm, in verse 4, For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. I'm going to be quoting a lot from Isaiah 53 to just show how this is a proof text of what Jesus has done because in Isaiah 53, 4, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make to be accounted righteous, make many to be accounted righteous, and that he shall bear their iniquities. Here David is saying, my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. Jesus knows that these are too heavy for us. It is not possible for us to deal with the burdens of our iniquity. But Jesus bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. He bore our iniquities. And in that same passage in Isaiah in verse 12, he says, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Again, brothers and sisters, do you acknowledge that you're a transgressor? You want to acknowledge that you are a transgressor. That is why we begin our worship with confession of sin, because it says here, he makes intercession for the transgressors. If we hold back from our acknowledgement of our sin in our own hearts and into others to try to put off some kind of presentation that we are holy in of ourselves, that we are good in of our own selves, that we have strength in our own lives to be able to carry us through, we are hiding the truth and the reality of our need of this intercession. We are hiding the fact that he bore our iniquities all the way to the cross. And he tells us in Matthew chapter 11, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This week I started my sleep therapy with my sleep machine because I haven't been able to sleep very well and I hold my breath and I snore a lot and Jennifer hasn't been able to sleep very well because of my snoring and she has to hold her breath before she whaps me in the head. This world is, it's amazing how much money has been spent on people getting adequate rest. But even apart from those particular medical things that are going on in this world, We are working ourselves to death, literally, because we have so many things that we want for our own kingdoms. It's not as if we have a cultural problem of God's people just serving others so much to their own exhaustion. You know that. I know that. Here Jesus says that the benefit of what he has done, because he has bore this weight for us, that he will give us rest, true and real rest. Brothers and sisters, do you feel rested? 
Are you at rest and at peace in your life? One of the things we have to remember that he bore our transgressions. That means he bore one another's transgressions. And I know you've heard me talk about this before, but how much of us are losing rest because of the transgressions that we perceive from others against us or to others, especially amongst those in the church or in the family that we have. We know when we're fighting against each other, you know, I guess it's because of this particular holiday, but it just seemed like this morning, Jennifer and I are recognizing, and even our kids, you know, when your kids are saying, mom, dad, stop fighting each other, you know you're in trouble. That we're not being very much at rest. Here we are playing songs, singing songs. I'm reading passages about what the Lord has done for our transgressions. And we're just striving over things that Jesus has already taken to the cross. Why are we so unnerved and so out of sync with what the Lord has done? It is because we need more of his discipline. We need more of his love. Verse five of the Psalm. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day long I go about mourning, for my sides are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. It is here that we hear the words of Isaiah 53 again, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Again, as we think about the effects of our sin and the Lord's discipline in our life, as David was contemplating how his own sin was bringing this turmoil to him, it is for only the purpose for us to remember to consider what Jesus has actually received in himself. That Isaiah, though a prophecy, is a very vivid description of the reality of the cross that he was truly pierced that his side was pierced in reality he was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement of the Lord we may cringe at the chastisement of one another the correction of one another but to receive the chastisement of our sins I cannot even imagine what that would have been like for our Savior. And when he did that, the benefit, the true benefit, when we truly recognize and hold on to him in faith in this, is that he brought us peace. What happened to his body, both spiritually and physically, brings us healing. Whatever sickness we are going through, whatever difficulty we are dealing with in our own soul, there is a hope of healing because he was crushed on our behalf. It says later on in verse 11, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted as righteous 
because of what he has done, not only do we have peace, not only do we have healing, we actually have his righteousness. He bore our iniquities and exchanged them for his righteousness. And because his appearance was marred and his human semblance was beyond recognition that he didn't even look like all the other children of mankind, he now sprinkles us with a cleansing. He sprinkles the many nations of his people to be called his own. Verse 9 of the Psalm 38. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, it is also gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. We see here, and you look at any kind of study Bible, it will give you this cross-reference to the very moment that he is on the cross. And that those who once followed him are standing far away from him. And it is at that moment that he is crying out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jonathan spoke about the trust that Jesus had in his father when he is on the cross It was not that Jesus was such a strong man in his perfection that he was able to go to the cross. It was because Jesus took on weakness and was weak to the point of death. It wasn't like he could, I can just, I can handle it. I can take it. Just put me on there. I'll do it for everyone. No, he took on us. He took on our weakness our humanity, and he suffered the fullness of everything that David is talking about here in this psalm, even to the point that he was acquainted with grief, as it says in Psalm 53, excuse me, Isaiah 53. We see that in Hebrews that he is able to sympathize with our weakness. Therefore, we have confidence. See, we have a true sympathetic Savior, a sympathetic king because of that weakness. I mean, have you thought about that? I really appreciated Jonathan bringing that up. Is that, it, you know, a lot of times I think about the fact that Jesus, you know, he was perfect, he was God. You know, of course he can handle it. No, he became mankind. He became us. He bore our sins. He bore our weaknesses. He was able to be sympathetic to our weaknesses and our inability to be able to bear up this weight. That is why this psalm really belongs to Jesus. It says, those who seek my life lay their snares in verse 12. Those who seek my hurt speak ruin and meditate treachery all day long. But I am like a deaf man. I do not hear like a mute man who does not open his mouth. And I have become like a man who does not hear and whose mouth there is no rebukes. Matthew 27 says, now Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, you have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave them no answer, not even a single charge to even a single charge so that the governor was greatly amazed. Again, in Isaiah 53, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. 
He was stricken for the transgressions of his people. This is definitely his prayer. He has taken the fullness. There is no conspiracy against you that is greater than the conspiracy against the Son of Jesus, the Son of the Lord, Jesus Christ. Whatever you might feel like you have suffered, it doesn't mean that you just shrug it off, but let it help you consider Jesus Christ. Whenever you have something, whether it's at work or family, you know, I, I hear even, you know, we started out when we were really young and we were kids, you know, we're talking bad about one another, we're gossiping about one another, we're always throwing out each other's weaknesses and problems and making plans to somehow or another win out on someone else and we take it right into work, we take it into the church, we take it into every area of our life. Jesus bore the fullness of even that, where they were testifying against him, making up things against him. But he held silent. Why did he hold silent? It wasn't because he didn't have a defense. It's because he bore our transgressions. He remained silent on our behalf so that he would take those charges fully that are actually against us. In 1 Peter 2, it says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if you sin or are beaten for it, you endure? But if you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. When you are suffering under work or under any kind of authority in your life, Peter is telling us that this is a wonderful opportunity for us to consider Jesus Christ and the benefit that we have in him. See, this, we talk about application. When we see this psalm, when we see David suffering this way, and we see that people are conspiring against him, and he's saying that I didn't even speak in return, this should really bring us to that moment when Jesus was in the very dark parts of the crucifixion where everyone is gathered around him and he knows they're conspiring him to death. That at that moment, when you're dealing with whoever your master is in life, that you have this opportunity to remember what Jesus has done on the cross because he was left as us for us and as an example. But what did Jesus do in that moment? He entrusted himself to his father. He was in a moment where he didn't know, I'm just not even saying it the right way, I gotta be so careful because of his deity. It's not that he didn't know what to do, but he was in this place on our behalf of weakness that he was just simply trusting that his father would come through. Many times, Different people will come to me 
and my children particularly with a weakness of some sort, looking for an answer. And I usually pride myself on being able to come up with some kind of wise answer or some kind of, well, if you just do this, everything will be okay. But really the place where we have to be is, is in that place where we don't have the answers. That we're just simply trusting the Father. That we're trusting his words. We're trusting his promises. That we really don't know how it's all going to connect. I don't know exactly what was going on in the mind of Christ when he called out to the Father. Why have you forsaken me? But I know that he was experiencing this place where he had to trust the Lord. He had to trust his father. See, it says, just as the father loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love in John 15. He was trusting the love of his father. When he was at the very darkest place on the cross, he was having to hold tightly to the love of the father. I'm going through this passage and bombarding you with all of these other passages of all the benefits of what has happened in the cross and the resurrection because I want you to remember the love of the Father for his Son. The reason why there is power in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is because the Father loved his Son. And Jesus now tells us I have also loved you, abide in my love. We have the tremendous benefit of the exact same love that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Do you know that? I cannot convince you of that in my own strength and in my own words. I'm only going to be able to just keep pointing back to you. You need to understand how much he loves you Because when you think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he did it for us. He did it for the son and he's done it for us. Then in verse 16, it says, for I said, only let them not rejoice over me who boast against me when my foot slips. For I'm needy to fall. I'm ready to fall. And my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous, they are mighty, and many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord of my salvation. In Psalm 22 that Jesus quotes on the cross, he says, why have you forsaken me? So now, as we get to Psalm 38, we can actually, with boldness, cry out to the Father because Jesus accomplished a trust that we don't have inside of us, in of ourselves. He accomplished a faith in his Father that we can't even conjure up in of ourselves. We can now, by declaring God to hold to his own word, Father, Do not forsake us. Because what has happened to your son on the cross, now do not forsake us. We can tell God, 
for those who repent and believe and hold to the hope of Jesus Christ, we can never experience what your son has experienced. We're not going to. We're not going to experience that wrath. We're not going to experience that forsakenness because your son already has. We can cry that out in the moments of our greatest despair. See, you look at what David is doing here. He says, I am sorry for my sin. I confess my iniquity. The enemies of mine are too great for me. I have nothing in me. But Father, in this moment where I am struggling, if I'm struggling with my sin, if I'm struggling with, from the sins of other people, as you have declared and as what you have accomplished in the cross and the resurrection, never, ever forsake me, O Lord. Make haste to help me. Help me, Lord. Help us. Help your church. Help this nation. Help this world. Because you are our salvation. I'm not going to read Psalm 22 in the fullness, but you could almost read it right now. And you can see how it covers every bit of this. But as David is saying, don't let them rejoice over my falling. We can remember what Jesus has promised in Psalm 22 when he says, and I've said this many times before, that he tells us that he will tell of his name, the Father's name, to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in all of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard. When he cried out, when Jesus cried out, his father answered him. He did not continue in silence. He rose him up from the grave. So from you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. Jesus sings that at the resurrection. Jesus sings that for us today. He sings and proclaims before us through his people the greatness of his father because he did not remain silent because he did not leave him forsaken to the grave and he will not leave us. We shall eat. We shall be satisfied. We will get a taste of this here as we remember him through his supper together as the body of Christ. But we are still singing this song because we will eat face to face with the Savior because of what he has done. Do not forget his love. Do not forget the benefits of what has happened here. This is not just some event so that we can wear bright colors on a spring day. This is life. This is eternal life. This is life in Christ. He descended to the dead so that we may arise in life with him. Let us pray.
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ.